Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast brought to you by DC Comics News. And before we can go any farther, we have to let you know that if you are not old enough to watch the television show Harley Quinn... Streaming on DC Universe or HBO Max, if it's something that you are not old enough to watch. If there are any reasons why that's a show that you cannot watch, then please turn off this episode. This episode is not intended for younger viewers, and we ask you to do us a favor and try any of our other offerings available from DC Comics News. That can be our weekly podcast, that can be the spinner rack, that can be... I am the knight, and soon that can be things like the editor's desk and Felicky Fashions, but we'll get more to that later. In the meantime, with that disclaimer out of the way, it's time for us to dive into episode number 16 of Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast. We're going to be covering season two, episode number three of the series. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and thankfully, you don't just have to listen to me. I'm joined by the maddest group of mad people you can ever stumble across. I introduce to you first, Mr. Brad Felicki. Hey, hey. Hey, Brad. Good to have you. And moving right in, we have editor-in-chief, a rare guest appearance, Mr. Josh Rayner. Hey, everyone. It's uh, great to be here. Excited to talk some Harley Quinn. Uh, it's gonna be fucking awesome josh so so glad to have you on here love to get you on one where i can drop f-bombs and we don't have to worry about you editing them out fucking Uh, a (laughs) (laughs) and wrapping things up we have the amazing kendra kendra how are you feeling fucking fabulous let's do this (laughs) well there they are brad felicki josh rainer kendra hale I'm Seth Singleton. We're diving right into season two, episode number three, uh, a little episode we call Trapped. Now, guys, I'm going to just kind of set things up with the uh, the intro here. We've got Psycho holding a latte. We've got Harley really mad at a giant ice wall that she wants to break through because behind it is Mr. Freeze, who did some not so nice freezing recently and essentially humiliated Harley. For much longer than she was actually aware. We've got some jokes, we've got some laughs, and within a couple of minutes, we've got a plan setting this episode in motion. Going around the, the room, just wanted to get an idea of what you thought of any of those fun elements that brought us from the ice wall to our next destination. Brad, starting things off with you. I, uh, I really enjoyed uh, Freeze's guards giving away <laughs> exactly <laughs> how they can break in and where to get the flamethrower. That, right that, was, that, was that was a nice touch. I think that was my favorite part of this scene. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. Yeah, I'm with you, man. That was fucking awesome. <laughs> Josh, how about you? Yeah, when I when I rewatched, because I rewatched it right before the podcast, and like I'm sitting here, and I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Stop <laughs> telling them what, where to go. It was great. It was it was hilarious. It was comedy gold. <laughs> yeah. Nice. What about, what about you, Kendra? I gotta say King Shark was my favorite part of this beginning. Like, yes, the, the henchmen or the goons giving away the <laughs> where to go was perfect, but King Shark's The Cycle of Violence is Real <laughs> was a beautiful line, and it made me absolutely 
lose my shit. So I love this this plan, and I'm excited with what's going to happen with it. Seth, what about you? Yeah, I think the only thing to top that one by uh, was King Shark was when he references, uh, you know, uh, Clayface as well. You clearly weren't spending time at my one-man Joan Didion year of magical thinking. (laughs) Yeah, I saw it. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) And I just felt like two of those were such great reaches. It reminded me of when they had Joker reading Infinite Jest, and I was like, really? Come on, man. Like, really, that's supposed to be like that's David Foster Wallace. Like, you know what I mean? Don't don't fuck around with the literary guy who's not here anymore. And yeah, okay, okay, okay. So this was just another fun little like lit reference where I thought they were just having a good time with people who are like, look how smart I am. Look how smart I am. (laughs) Um, I thought this was a really fun one. I love this sort of intro. I love that that basically. Kevin and Fred, one, don't observe rule number one, which is you don't reveal your names unless you want people to start calling you Kevin and Fred. And then, two, they point out that the only way to break into this ice wall is if you had Firefly's gun. But you can't get that, which would be a mystery if then Kevin didn't explain how Dr. Trap has all the toys. history. He's just saying it all, like, kind of, like, nonchalant, like, like, dude, this is where it is, you know. <laughs> Forgetting that they're down there listening. Yeah, you know, I mean, basically, it's it's such an exposition that he's like, yeah, well, unless you're Dr. Trap, you know who Dr. Trap is. Well, let me tell you about it. <laughs> um, and then what I love is this great sort of little reference as they decide, oh, well, thanks. Now that you guys, you know, gave us everything we need. Uh, We're going to run off to the Museum of Natural History. And as Harley's leading the gang away, she says, and then when we're done, we got to check out this garbage fire barbecue that I'm dying. (laughs) Which leads me to my first question, just to sort of pull on some real world stuff that can happen, because we've all been different places. You know, there's there's all kinds of experiences we might not ordinarily talk about. But here's a great opportunity. So a question for the group running around the circle What's the weirdest place that either you chose to eat out at or someone brought you to or you just ended up at? But you can honestly say, like, that was weird, man. Like, that was that was just a weird dining experience. If it's not too, you know, much like a garbage dumpster file, I get it. Like, you don't have to compete with Harley. But go ahead and just let us know. What's the weirdest place you either wanted to try or ended up at? Brad, how about you? So I... uh I had a, a roommate from Saudi Arabia for a while, super nice guy, um, and the in-laws were in town, and he was trying to be really super nice to them. So he was like, no, we're going, we're going to go out, and we're going to go to uh, uh, a Middle Eastern restaurant. Let me call my friend, get a car. So. He, his friend brings a car over. He drives me, my wife, and the in-laws over to this restaurant in Jersey, driving about 100 miles an hour. My poor mother-in-law was in the back seat <laughs> almost throwing up. She was so scared. So we get there. He knows everybody, and we know nobody. So he tries to introduce us to people, and he just keeps getting all this food delivered over and over again, like little appetizers just constant it was so good uh but he didn't eat anything because he was fasting and i'm like 
the roommate. I'm like, how can he not eat this food? It's so good, and it's right there in front of him. How? I don't know how. <laughs> and then at the end of the night, like an hour later, he borrows another friend's SUV to take us home. So I don't know where he got the cars. <laughs> I don't know how he found the place, but it was, uh, you know, my, my in-laws still still talk about that to this day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good one, Brad. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Josh, how about you? Uh, the probably the weirdest experience would be uh, after I got married when we went on our honeymoon. We took a cruise. I don't know if any of you have ever been on a cruise, but <laughs> when you're dining at a cruise, at least on the one I was on, all the tables are pushed together in like a line. It's like it's like if you watch Harry Potter and they're in the Great Hall. This is a big line of tables. So you're sitting next to strangers, you know. You're you're you know, you're on your honeymoon, it's supposed to be all romantic, but you're sitting next to a bunch of strangers. And they had some of the weirdest stuff on the menu. Uh, one of the things I had, which was actually really good, was uh, alligator fritters. It was interesting, but nice. it was it was just overall like I mean, I don't think it's going to top that story that Brad just told, but uh, it, it was it was just a weird a weird dining experience, and I don't know if I've ever had anything really weirder than that. So maybe that's maybe it's just not as uh, as top level. Uh, no competition. It's just about <laughs> originality yeah. of the story. Like you know, just gotta ask you to dig a little deep there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I'd say I think that's probably mine. Uh, what about you, Kendra? I've been sitting here trying to think of a weird experience that I've had, and I, I can't really, I think, I've, I guess I'm just, like, sheltered, because I haven't really had a weird experience. I mean, yes, there have been, like, weird food, but the only, the weirdest thing that I can think of that I've ever had in a dining experience was back in middle school. We went on a field trip to one of those, like, showcases of world cuisine, where you could try things from all over the world. And there were just things there that I, I still like to this day would never touch <laughs> like pig's feet and anything to do with, with fish. Uh, just, just the smells that emanated from there with the spices. It was not pleasing to the palate at all. I think I still have nightmares about that because I'll still smell this overwhelming musk that was on. Um, what is it? Is it durian fruit? It was just, it was disgusting. Yeah, the, the, the stinky fruit, yeah, durian. So, yeah, no, like that's it, not necessarily weird, but definitely a memorable because it's not like I ate it, but it was, it was gross. Seth, what about you? You know, that's the thing. I was trying to go through the list. I've eaten at some pretty fun places. Like there's some cool Japanese places where I live that serve like what's considered the awful meats, like uh, barbecued chicken hearts and livers and things like that. And they do all these fish, uh, like fish cheeks. And But the one that probably sticks for me is I was lucky enough to travel to Italy with my wife for one vacation. And we were out in Florence and we knew of someone who connected us with this restaurant and it ended up being like a fourth generation like this was like the great granddaughter and when you went into it it was really small and tight but the further you went back you realized it was almost like this deep cave almost dug into the mountain but it was this I mean it had been around for over 120 years maybe and they served you things like the different grass that grew outside but they cooked it in a certain way where they were like only if you're from here do you know how to do this and it was the most authentic, original, rare, rustic 
Italian cuisine I've I've ever come across. It was it was wild. <laughs> yeah, if you were gonna if you were to ask me what the best meal I ever had, ah. well, I, I think the the top two would be in Italy. Uh, one was in in Milan, and it was kind of like like you were saying, but it didn't it didn't stretch back. It was just this tiny little tiny little place. It sat maybe five tables, and I think we were the only fam- my family was the only one in there that night. But they, they served this salmon that was that tasted like the best ham I've ever had, and it was <laughs> so cool. so good. I still I still remember that. Definitely still have dreams about that, not nightmares, right? Like Kendra, right. But but dreams <laughs> about that. Yeah, with with this one, it was just that I didn't know anything I was eating. Like they would tell me, and I would go, uh huh. And we're pretty sure we ate horse. Like we're not a hundred percent, but there's a strong. <laughs> it, it we we made a deal with ourselves: travel overseas, do whatever happens. But yeah, there was a moment <laughs> where we were like, that could get dangerous, Seth. Right? Yeah. <laughs> do whatever hey, happens. Man. That's a dangerous like, motto. <laughs> We try and respect the customs where we're traveling to, but it was pretty funny. There was a couple of them where we're like, what do you think this is? I have no idea. And the one kind of steak cut, we were like, you know, they didn't say it was beef steak. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, moving along. <laughs> so I just wanted to have a little fun with steak that. for you. Enjoy. Right. Hey, you never know. It could have been one of those exotic things that you only get into if you're from like, you know, uh, Enjoy your giraffe catchatory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was the Matthew Broderick one where he gets sucked into like a mob thing and they eat all the exotic food? It was like The Graduate or something like that. Um, and it was this whole great story where it was this con where they, they, they con people into thinking that they're eating all these exotic animals and it's really just like fish and steak and <laughs> chicken. <laughs> Uh, I think so far it could be that, you know, Brad and Josh, you guys got the craziest stories. Those were pretty awesome. So I'm digging it. Now, when it comes to food, we find out that there's a real bond developing as we come back to our story between Kite Man and Ivy. And it's got something to do with chili. Now, not only (laughs) too, like, uh, you know, Kite Man has suddenly become kind of cool in a post-apocalyptic world. There's a lot of changes going on, and we're we're starting to process some of them. Brad, what do you think about our return to Kite Man and Ivy and, and how Harley's handling everything. You know, hey, they need to get that money's worth out of that slow cooker. So, <laughs> you know, I don't blame them for wanting to, you know, eat those chili leftovers. Those aren't those aren't cheap. So, you know, <laughs> good luck. Uh, you know, and, and Harley's just sick, starting to feel like a third wheel. I think that's what's annoying her more than anything else. <laughs> yeah, the, clearly, slow cooker. Got to get your money's worth. Josh, how about you? <laughs> yeah, I, I love this scene. Uh, I think the the dynamic between Kite Man and Poison Ivy is probably the most adorable it's been up to this point. Just during that one scene, they're talking about the the, the slow cooker and all this stuff. It's I don't know. I I really felt their connection, and it, and it, it just feels so natural. Uh, I I never would have thought, you know, Poison Ivy and Kite Man, that's that's the couple right there. <laughs> never that never would have crossed my mind before this show, but uh, yeah, it, it was it was really funny. And I do, yeah, I think that this is uh, a major stepping point for Harley, really kind of feeling that third wheel uh, kind of mentality as she kind of leads toward what happens at the end of the season. So, uh, Kendra, yeah. what about you? 
I mean, I agree. I agree with you guys. I mean, you you definitely see the third wheel aspect, but I think there's a little bit more to it than that. I mean, we've watched as Ivy in her character has grown from being someone, and you see it a lot this episode specifically, so I'm on point with it. Um, but we've seen so, her grow from someone who is fine with being alone to, you know, having Harley as a best friend and, and doing that dynamic. But then we also get to see her with the crew and going from I'm not part of the crew to she is totally part of the crew. And then we get to see Kite Man, which is her stepping up and above beyond. So Harley's seeing a different side to Ivy that even she hasn't seen. And I think that that's probably playing a little bit on her mindset as well, because it's always been her and Ivy that have been so close and they told each other everything. And then now there's this other person that's coming in and kind of disrupting that relationship. And she's having to kind of struggle to figure out where she fits in now in the new the new relationship where, you know, she's not really a fan of Kite Man, even though, you know, as, as you said, that they're super cute, but for Harley, it's fucking disgusting. And we, we just keep seeing that she's just kind of uncomfortable with the whole thing. So I, I really like that they showcase that well, because it shows the depth that they're building with the show. Seth, what about you? I love this scene. I love the things that you guys, you know, brought up the feeling of the third wheel, the fact that the the point of contention is about the chili. And she's like, you guys are making too much chili. And everything just seems to annoy Harley. Uh, you know, uh, Kite Man says a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, kites are pretty cool. And she's like, you don't have to say that every fucking time. Like, come on, dude, like, give it a break. And then he leaves her with a high energy snack, which, you know, you just got to sort of laugh like, ah, protein. And clearly she waits to really sort of dig in with Ivy afterwards where she's saying, I don't see it. Like, I think you guys are spending too much time together. And <laughs> Ivy's like, you know what? I died. I came back. Your ex-boyfriend has, you know, tried to kill you how many times? Like, I'm, I'm doing this. And that's our setup as we move into the museum, which, you know, it, it seems like it's something that Harley's just going to bash her way into. And from the very moment she swings that hammer back all the unexpected for starts to happen. Brad, I'm going to turn to you. What do you think about what we learned about the Natural History Museum and Dr. Trapp? I, I was definitely getting flashbacks of Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and and uh, I, I agree with Ivy and Harley when, you know, that's that was overkill with the spikes and the catching on fire. Um yeah, so this is a guy who clearly loves his traps. <laughs> Josh? Yeah, uh, with this scene, I, I found it interesting that it kind of plays as a nice mirror to what we see later on with uh, with Poison Ivy and a, and a certain character that, that comes in, where Harley is the one that kind of goes in headfirst, you know, and, and isn't really paying as much attention as she should and having to kind of get pulled back by Poison Ivy, where it kind of flips later on. So I, I really like that they mirrored that, that they did this scene in that way to, to show that. Uh, and then he, some of these traps are just ridiculous. I mean, all those spikes and another set of spikes, and the whole thing just explodes in fire. And it's like, geez, man. Like, all right. I dig it. <laughs> How about you, Kendra? After watching this part of it, I really totally am down with having a t-shirt that says Smashing Blue Balls. 
<laughs> yeah. I was waiting for somebody to hit that line. <laughs> well, and I mean, it, it was such a great line to have after everything went down with her and, and Ivy and Kite Man because you can see the frustration that's still there. I mean, aside from that, they're really just walking into a museum as far as they know. But, I mean, it was just, it was hilarious to watch her just be like, oh, well, there goes that. And she just has to smash whatever she has available to her, which is just, it, it's old Harley. It's something that, you know, we've all seen her do, whether it's a table, a TV, or, you know, somebody's head. So, watching them go in here and to see just how many <laughs> over dramatic traps there are. I like that the first thing that Harley keys in on is Penguin's umbrella. Because she's like, oh, yeah, that's gone up in value since I killed him. Yeah, I love it. Because it, it reminds the audience, oh, yeah, they killed the Penguin. Right? Like, we've escaped Tropeville at that point because he's dead. And he's dead, dead in this continuity. And it's really nice to see them kind of sticking it in there so that that way, if you didn't remember, you definitely do now. Like, he's not coming back. He's gone. But another thing that, that made me kind of giggle at this one was they're both sitting there, Ivy and Harley, and while, yes, they're they're ready to go, I guess, they look at Trap, at, at Dr. Trap, and they're like, look, we really just don't even want to do this with you. Like, can you yeah. just give it to us? Like, we're not here for a fight. We're not here for your games. Like, we don't want trouble. We just want the gun. <laughs> that was probably my favorite moment. Seth, what about you? Yeah, I think Harley's line, why why are you obsessed? Just give me the thing. <laughs> and then, oh, wait, Penguin's gun. That was such a great transition moment. Like, it's one, we don't even really want this. Wait a minute, Penguin's gun, that might be up in value because he's dead. And I love that you point out that we're sticking with our continuity here. We're not giving up on that. Uh, all the points that you brought up, Kendra, you, I was waiting. I was like, don't make me the... Don't make me be the one because I'll say it smashing blue balls. I, I fucking love that line. Like there was something so perfect about it. Right. And then she smashes the other thing and she's like, and now I can get on with my day. Like, you know, and now I've had my release and you can take whatever you need to into that. But I just love the fact that she was like, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I need a release. What? Here we go. Boom. Satisfied. And there's there's nothing more satisfying than getting a little release. And we not only get that that moment where it's all the unexpected and she has to make do, but that becomes her motto when they realize Dr. Trap, all the traps, the minions, and probably the smartest thing I've heard Harley say in a while, which is, I need to rethink this. And we get the quick exit, which is perfect because we now get a chance to see what's been going on with everyone else since the end of Riddle U. And I love this transition to the mall where we get a chance to see who the newest addition is to living at the mall, what his setup is like, and the relationship that's blossoming between our new guest, Dr. Psycho, and, you know, many of our favorite others. Brad, I'm going to let you pick up with this scene. What do you think about this transition back to and what we find out about the game? Uh, you know, I think it's obvious from the get-go that uh, Riddler is completely manipulating Psycho. And he is just falling right into it. Uh, he's just he's just too smart for him. I mean, that's what it, that's what it comes down to. Uh, Josh? Yeah, uh, 100%. 
uh, everything. I, I, I've loved what they've done with the Riddler in this show, and just seeing how easily he's able to play Dr. Psycho, who got this big brain, you know, he's supposed to be a smart guy, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty pretty stupid a lot of times uh, with the things that he does. Uh, and, and Jim Rash as the Riddler is is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> so, some of the, I mean, it's not not in this episode, but there have been episodes where they do uh, community references, and it's just, it, I every time it happens, I just bust out laughing because, because of him and his uh, delivery in it. Yeah, so I, I love it. Uh, what about you, Kendra? I'll go ahead and pick up on the other thing that wasn't Riddler, because while the Riddler scene was very important, my 12-year-old self cried out with glee when the Babysitter's Club was brought up. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. Somebody. I was yes. like, somebody's going to go for this. Yes, because, like, that one, that one specific, <laughs> they have a target market, and they hit it right bullseye. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, they could have brought up Goosebumps, Christopher Pike. They could have brought up Animorphs. But they brought up Babysitter's Club. Fantastic. They brought up right, I would have been here for any of it, <laughs> but they brought up Babysitter's Club, and then you have just this lovely dynamic between King Shark and Frank. <laughs> it was beautiful, and to see Psycho, I mean, you you knew it, you knew it was coming. Even King Shark was like in the background, like, really, dude, like this, this is what it's gonna take. But he's so easy to set off, and it's because he's got like all of these these buttons and if Riddler like pushed it right on on the it was the easy button from Staples he knew that he was going to get that reaction and he kept pounding away yeah but <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's about you oh man shit you fucking had me an easy button at Staples <laughs> I mean everything about Psycho is just so petty no, I won't go give you a biscuit, Riddler. Yeah, you want a carb load? Well, that's great. These are for the hyenas. And then starts getting all pissy about like, well, you know, you should have given me a cut of the city with the rest of the Injustice League. I used to be a big deal except for the locker room talk. And Riddler's dig back with, well, now you're just a babysitter. And and how that just feeds right into the babysitter's club. Um, Kendra, you kind of teed into something that I was looking forward to because if you hadn't said that, my question going around, and if you have a second one, this is going to be fun. But do you have an embarrassing or shameless book series where you're like, look, man, this is something I've read. I was into it. Don't fuck with me on this. But this is something I did. And maybe it doesn't look so cool now, but fuck you. I love this book series. Brad, starting with you. Hmm. Um, hmm. I mean, I, I, I've i read the Twilight novels because at one point my wife had asked me to because she she had been a fan and she just wanted to know what I thought of it. But um, so I don't even know if that really counts. So I don't know. I, I, I don't nah, that's I do. doing something nice for your wife. That don't yeah, count. I don't. Uh. Yeah, I don't think that counts. <laughs> so I don't know if I have one of those like. Uh, no, I don't think I do. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I do. Josh. Okay. Yeah, I'm sitting here trying to think, and I don't think I have anything that I mean. Most of the stuff that I love, I'm not embarrassed that I love. And gotcha. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I've watched a lot of like, like, if, especially if we're talking about like movies and stuff. I've watched a lot of like 
romance movies and and like teen movies and stuff that like macho guys would never want to admit that they watch. Oh but yeah, I'm like, I mean, that we're talking like, movies for shit, sure. Shit, I don't <laughs> love movies. I'm, I love this movie. I love this movie. I don't give a fuck. What about I, you, Kendra? Okay, <laughs> so you can do a book or a movie, Kendra. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat. I mean, I feel bad, but I I don't have anything that I mean. Okay, maybe stuff that like society thinks that I shouldn't think is cool. <laughs> okay, but I mean, if we're gonna go there, then I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, Digimon. I mean, no, I, that's I, My Little Pony. <laughs> These I mean, days, it's got more cool than you know what I mean, and that's the funny it thing. Is. Like, I, like, that's I, the problem. Hey, you know, I find myself watching Paw Patrol when my kid leaves the room. So, I mean, I don't change the channel, so maybe that's one. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was trying to think back, like, you know, what what would have been like a book series where I'd be kind of like, don't, you know, but I do remember, and this is one that I will admit, being so horribly bored on car trips that I would finish the books I brought with me. And there's my sister with a stack of these like young teen romance books, like <laughs> Judy Bloom and stuff like that. And I'm like... I'm so fucking. Are bored. you there, God? It's me, Margaret. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I got that far, but there were a couple of them where I'm reading this and I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to know this shit. Oh my God, what is happening here? Oh my <laughs> God, what is going on? Is she talking about what I think she's? Oh my God, you know. And there was just this sort of like awkward, like a train wreck. Like you don't want to, but you're like, what happened? Why am yeah. I? Oh my. I'm God. pretty sure Seth's out there reading all those. Uh, what they call trashy romance novels where Fabio's on the co- painted on the cover. I think that's a that's a Harlequin romance. Actually, man, yeah, I gotta be go. honest with you. My nickname playing soccer was Fabio. Um, yes. I had really long hair <laughs> about the middle of my back, and um, one of the guys, one of the cool guys on the team, nicknamed me Fabio, and that was fucking it. Coach, after that, my name wasn't Seth. My fucking name was Fabio, and that's how he would introduce me to people. Like. The girls team would come out and be like, hey, somebody get Fabio. And like I get all these head turns like, who's Fabio? And I'm like, all right, get ready for a lot of disappointment. Hi. Hot. <laughs> Not the guy you're looking for. I don't know, okay. man. That would have given you a great tagline. You could have been like, I can't believe it's not butter. Oh, <laughs> wrong. If it was a cute yeah. girl and I figured I had a moment, I'd use every fucking moment I had. But nine times out of ten, I was just like, no, you're looking for that guy, but you're getting me. They just threw the long hair on, and I'm I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> I am not the girl you're looking for. Exactly. Sorry. I'm your serious. So you're the Fabio after the roller coaster ride where he got hit in the face with a bird. Oh, yeah. My my nose has been broken plenty of times, sadly, just too many times being a stupid kid. So, yeah, that's that's the Fabio you get, the one with the slightly bent up nose. <laughs> so, look, with the book series out of the way and the fact that I may or may not be a romance shameless fan, <clears throat> I say nothing more. Uh, I love the fact that you guys pointed to how, you know, Riddler is really clear about the fact, hey, dude, I'm a fucking A-lister. You, you can't fuck with me. You do. I'm going to go ahead and call you a babysitter, turn it into a babysitter's club reference, and we're just going to chew this shit up. And, uh, you know, it's clearly working, as you guys have pointed out. We get an opportunity to, to sort of see what's our B story going to be like. But we shift gears away from everything, and we get a chance to check in with Ivy and Harley, who have figured out that they're going to need some help. 
And we get our appearance of a legendary Gotham figure, Miss Catwoman. What do you guys think of this uh, Chez Felim restaurant um, and everything that transpires throughout the scene? What we kind of learn about Harley, Ivy, and especially Catwoman's effect on them both. Brad, start with you. I, I, I really like seeing a more um, uh, vulnerable side to Ivy. She seems to be always the one who has to keep her shit together uh, and be the one there that has to take care of everybody else and make sure they all don't get killed. And seeing a little insecure side to her uh, was was kind of nice. It was kind of some you know, cool uh, character uh, development. And Lake Bell, again, just does such an amazing job as as Ivy. And I, I don't know if anybody could do could play that quite like she did that that whole insecure talking fast uh, thing that she was doing. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I really like that side of Ivy. Uh, Josh. Gotham City Sirens, bitches. <laughs> what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> I actually love this version of Catwoman. It's, it's fantastic. And that's that the part of the scene where she just, in the, essentially a blink of an eye, steals uh, Poison Ivy's jacket <laughs> right off of her. I'm just like, what? Holy shit. That was good stuff, man. I mean, that, that's talent right there. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> But yeah, like like what Brad was saying, seeing Poison Ivy have this kind of more, like you said, vulnerable side, this like where she is essentially fawning over Catwoman and, and falling over every word she says and doing everything she says and trying to impress her and being this like giggly little schoolgirl about it. It's it's kind of a it it was weird, but it was a nice change of pace for this character to show that she's not always this rock hard. You know, I mean, outside of when she's with Kite Man, you know, she's not always this kind of rock hard personality, you know. So I, I really I really love the scene. And I want a now I want a Gotham City Siren spinoff TV show with these three <laughs> yeah. animated just like this. Everything. Oh, I want that. Yes, uh. it, I watch that all of the fucking time. Uh, Kendra, what about you? Man, I, oh, go ahead, Brad. Go on. I was just going to say, man, I would pick a, a spinoff show. For any one of these characters, yeah, uh, seriously, a clayface <laughs> show, whatever, give me, I'll, I'll take it. I'll think a the world hates Doctor A buddy comedy of Clayface and King Shark mm. just doing their thing. Yeah. Maybe like a road trip thing. Yeah, I, I, that's that's what I want. Yeah, and Frank Frank would have to come along. Yeah, <laughs> he just sits in the back of the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Kendra, we're back to you. <laughs> Are you guys refined? I mean, from my standpoint, I liked seeing the dynamic between these guys because Harley is so excited that, you know, she's going to be surprising Ivy with who she's bringing on board. You know, one, because it's logical to bring on a cat burglar when you're trying to burgle. And two, because she thinks that Ivy and, and Selena have this great friendship and, you know, oh, you guys haven't seen each other in a while. And, you know, when she realizes that Ivy really has issues with Catwoman, then she tries to backpedal hard and she tries to stick to her guns. But you get to see, like you guys said, you get to see Ivy kind of transition into this whole 
questioning herself. And that's really what we see Selena causing in this episode is Selena's like the older, the older sister in the dynamic. She's cool. She's confident. She's everything that, you know, these girls would want to look up to and, and in Ivy's case want to be, you know, she's not a part of a team. She's a solo, which has its drawbacks, but you know, so you get to see Ivy kind of pandering to her a little bit and, and asking about her opinion. And we also get to see the birth of the Cobb squad in this, <laughs> this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we get shirts. <laughs> I, I, may not, I may not eat meat, Matching but I can tattoos. just push that off to the side, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's really cool to see that because Selena comes in and, and you know what? She just she steals the show. For this this moment in, in, in the show itself, she's just like, you know, here's what I'm thinking. I was already going to be doing something anyway. I'll be more than happy to just jump on. And Ivy's just kind of sitting back like, oh, well, wow, we didn't even have to, like, beg or anything. You're just, it's, we're just doing it. Okay. <laughs> and like Josh said, the, the jacket scene is absolutely hilarious, as is the mention of the overall fad. <laughs> she ended up having a closet full of overalls that she never wore. But I mean, uh, it's yeah. like that. I mean, I know that whether you're male or female, you have somebody in a relationship <laughs> that you've looked up to that way. And you've only, you know, you have that, that bond where you're just like, I want to be that person, regardless of whether it's a good influence or a bad influence. So it was really nice to see them kind of take that from reality. But, it, you know, we, we've come to expect that. Seth, what about you? Yeah, you guys nailed it. You know, getting the chance to see Ivy, who compared to Harley, is always so cool, calm and collected, suddenly unnerved, uncomfortable, and then starts letting out, you know, yeah, actually, the last time we did a job, she didn't help me with the glogger. She ditched me for a blood diamond. I got stuck with a hotel bill with spot treatments I've never heard of. Uh, and then she draws you in until, the, you know, you end up with a closet full of overalls perfectly, as you said, Kendra, that, you know, I remember that fad. I remember that with the overalls, with the socks in Birkenstocks or leather sandals, and you had to, like, cuff the overalls. You guys remember that one? Okay, so I could be dating myself horribly, but I remember seeing people like that, and I'm like, I my parents wouldn't buy me overalls for that reason. Like, my father would la – he used to pick cotton as a child. Like, he would be like, what – are you doing farm work? What the fuck do you need overalls for, dude? No, I'm not – no. Get your jeans down at the cheap place. We're all <laughs> – oh, that's how we got. Get your jeans oh. a pair of suspenders. Jeans no, sorry. Good. We we were at the Fisco. That was the farm and industrial supply company. <laughs> That's where I got my pants. They were bad. I was a soccer player with these overdeveloped thighs wearing straight leg cowboy jeans. My my childhood and like middle school years were a fucking nightmare. But, you know, those were just the clothes. Uh, this scene here, though, just seeing how unnerved Ivy is and the way that we see Catwoman so smoothly just take over. Cobb salads for everyone. Thanks. I love it. And then just slides right into like, oh, yeah, there's an Egyptian ruby I was going to steal. And everything she says is just brilliant. Oh, God, you were so right, right? You know, Ivy's just like, yeah, the, the Cobb salad, brilliant. And rubies are so amazing. They're so less obvious than diamonds. I mean, everything that was happening. And, and Harley's just trying to like, yeah, you know, since I've heard some stuff, I was so I was thinking maybe this isn't a No, OK, this is happening. This is so. Kendra, you brought up something great, and it's a question I want to ask everybody, and I was meaning to, and, and I love that you've already sort of got it in our heads. 
did you ever have a Catwoman like person in your life? Someone who like I remember the American Dad where Steve meets this British guy who convinces him to do all these terrible things. And they all end disastrously, but he keeps going, well, you've been wrong up until now, but something about that voice, I'm just going to do it. And Catwoman has that influence so quickly on Ivy. Have you ever known someone who could influence you? And no matter what stupid thing they said or no matter what bad idea, you were just like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, okay, we're doing this. Brad, it's okay. You're first. (laughs) Um, And you're among family. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, there was there was times when you're in high school and you're kind of like figuring out your identity and the the the, the kids who have that identity already and are competent with it. You kind of like want to follow them. And, and maybe a little bit of that was going on. But I don't think there was anybody that I was trying to impress in that way or couldn't help myself but follow them. I don't think I've ever had that. Uh, Josh? <laughs> Maybe I'm lucky. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, uh, it's probably, honestly, I think me and my best friend are like that for each other. So, uh, (laughs) you know, we have bad ideas (laughs) and then uh, we uh, rope the other one into it, you know, and it's just, it just kind of goes back and forth, even to this day, you know, we're in our mid thirties and still sometimes not so great ideas happen, you know, that's life. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah other than that i don't really because i mean i didn't really have many friends when i was in school so i there wasn't really a lot of that kind of thing going on but uh yeah uh outside of like i said outside of my best friend probably uh probably not what about you kendra yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Resigned. i've got one okay. um no. i uh so everything kind of focuses back on this episode when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And during that age, I made my first real friend and her name is Catherine and we're still friends to this day, but we would talk each other into the most ridiculous. We should have been arrested things. Um, <laughs> Gold they line. were never good choices. Never, never, ever, ever good choices. Um, but it wasn't until we started getting older where stuff kind of started to spiral because then boys were involved and that never ends well, especially when you're in the puppy love era. But, um, yeah, she, (laughs) we call it absolute hell in Indianapolis. Like, I'm pretty sure there's some policemen down there that still know my name. (laughs) <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, we had that conversation with her to strike the fear of the law in her, so she wasn't going down into the underground tunnels trying to stop water from getting to houses. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. What <laughs> <laughs> about awesome. you? Yeah, uh, this one goes out to my oldest friend. Jason Rink, you motherfucker, if you're listening to this right now, I called you out, you son of a bitch, and I'm happy to do it. And this is what you wanted to hear right now. This guy I met in the third grade when in lunch line on like the first day of school, he said, hey, you want to be best friends? And I had no idea what to say. So I just said, sure, why not? Which was a response he'd never heard before. He's like, "I, I don't know. It just seemed like a good idea. And boom. We became friends. Uh, I've known him ever since. um, And this guy could convince me to do the stupidest shit. 
I mean, I remember distinctly stealing street signs and then don't don't hold this against me. I was really stupid. But we'd found a couple of street signs that had been thankfully like knocked over during some construction and we lifted them and we're driving down this road. And I don't know why it happened, but for some reason, because we lived kind of on the country, there was a huge stack of hay bales that had somehow caught on fire and they're tumbling into the road and the cops and the fire engines are behind us. So we don't want to slow down in case they see the signs. And we might have been pretty drunk by now. And then we roar through like at one point, there's like a huge bundle of like flaming hay bales around us as we drive through at about 80 miles per hour (laughs) and the whole time i'm thinking to myself this could not be the best use of my time um (laughs) and on too many occasions i could do the same thing where i'd be like i think you're just drunk enough to agree with me and now we go and you know like like you said kendra there's there's been a couple of occasions where we're just running our mouths in the hope that the cop just goes, you know what? I don't got time for this shit. Get the fuck out of here. Don't let me see you again. <laughs> uh, yeah, like uh, I, there, there's there's certain places I just don't go back to. And and that that's just the smartest thing I can do. <laughs> and I, I, I love that because it seems like if you've had someone in your life like this, you know exactly what's happening to Ivy. And if you haven't, you probably still have seen it happen to others where you're like, no shit, that guy can, that person, just whatever they say, man. It was it was a, a fun moment. I love checking in with you guys about. And we get to see more of this influence because, Kendra, as you pointed out, one of the things that really happens from that scene is the unsettling, this sort of uncertainty that begins to develop in Ivy. And we start to see a continuation of this. While Ivy and Harley are waiting for Catwoman and they're about to break in and Catwoman's late because it's a power ploy. Um, From that, we move into our break in scene. And this time we see a different way of how to approach the traps and everything else going on. Brad, starting things off with you, what do you think about this, uh, you know, new return to the uh, Natural History Museum this time with Catwoman? Uh, You know, uh, I I, kind of go to kite man in in this whole kind of thing because he was you know he was just trying to impress his lady by stealing a ring and it doesn't go so well for him uh (laughs) the poor guy uh and i don't know if any of you ever watched he-man but when we finally get to see uh dr trap i was getting flashbacks of Trapjaw from Masters of the Universe. So, so much. Yeah, that was just, yeah. yeah, okay, good. I'm glad yeah. I'm not the only one. All right. You're not All alone. Cool. Uh, I guess that was, I'm, I'm sure it was on purpose, but I was like, well, yeah. All right. All right, All right Josh? I, I love this. Uh, this Well, it's kind of like two, two mini scenes together because you get the, the scene on the roof and then the scene inside. Uh, I, I love how Poison, I, like, so... Catwoman first meets Kite Man here. But Poison Ivy isn't, even though she's fawning over Catwoman, at no point does she try to diminish her relationship with Kite Man here. And I love that. Like, she she cares so much about what Catwoman seems to think about things. But in that instance, it, it's just, it's a matter of fact that she shows her love for him there, no matter what Catwoman may or may not think about it you know uh she was real confident in that in that part of it which i really liked i thought that was really cool um 
And then when we get inside, I love the inside because there's so many little like Easter eggs inside of here. I mean, we get you see like Dr. Fate's helmet. Uh, Eggman's egg is in there. Uh, a giant two-faced coin, Scarecrow's mask, all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Uh, dead bodies just everywhere, randomly, they, they just nonchalantly just there, like somebody's hanging from the ceiling. Uh, then, then you get uh, Kite Man caught up in the net with the arrows just in him, just in there, <laughs> three arrows just. <laughs> I was like, damn, dude's like Boromir over here taking three arrows, not to the chest, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> And then when she grabs that Deathstroke sword, I was like, before, like, as she walked over to it, I was like, oh, shit, is that Deathstroke sword? And then, like, they, they, you see the, the little placard that says that. I was like, oh, sweet. And then Kiteman's <laughs> like, is that Deathstroke sword? I was like, oh, shit, I thought the same thing. <laughs> it was great. Uh, and then, you know, kind of flipping over to the Poison Ivy Catwoman stuff, it, you, you really get to see just how uh, confident in her skills Catwoman is in this scene. She's just—I mean, you see some of that in the in the diner scene, but this is a whole nother level to it. And like I said before, you get that flip, uh, the, that mirror scene of when they first go to to the museum, and now Ivy is the one who's almost getting hit by traps and having to get pulled back uh, where it was Harley before. So I, I really like that dichotomy between between those scenes. Uh, Kendra, what about you? I love this podcast so far because it usually feels like I'm following everyone with stuff that they saw that we all saw. But in this one, it feels like we're all seeing different things. So it feels like I get to be the first to announce things, which makes me happy. Yeah. What will she she unearth? Kendra, show us. Right? (laughs) But, I mean, aside from what you guys have already stated, it's really cool to see the dynamic on the, the top of the roof between these four characters. Cause like Josh brought up, you get to see that, that Ivy is fawning over kite man, but it's almost like a force. Like from, from the outside looking in, it looks like she's kind of just like, Oh yeah, look, this is my boo. Look, look, <laughs> this is my boo. Like she just holds that a little bit too long. Like she's, she's almost waiting for, you know, the pat on the back or the, the attaboy or I'm proud of you or I'm happy for you, which she gets continuously from Harley, but it's almost like she has, she has to have it from Selena in order for this relationship to really be like, you know, set in stone. Like even in the middle of her talking, it, you know, she, her and Kite Man are talking on the roof and she stops him in mid sentence because <laughs> Catwoman's doing her signature move. And she's like, Oh wait, look, you gotta watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's signature move. Yeah. But and you know what? I've done that to, to people in relationship. Like, Oh, here's the good part. You know, when you're watching something, <laughs> I've definitely done that. I'm just saying, just saying. Right. But I would hope that you would, you know, you would come back to that person's conversation. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Because I'm sure as hell does it. <laughs> she just goes down after her and she's just like, you know what? Deuces. <laughs> Which is when we get to see this really cool moment between Harley and Kite Man. Yeah. Where Kite Man's like, you know, look, I lied. And she's like, oh, yeah, I knew that was too lame, you being afraid of traps. And he's like, no, that's true. But he tells her, you know, I want to get this ring for Ivy that's in there. And so I have this secondary secret mission while we're here. And, you know, Harley goes along with it for the, the fun of it. But when they get down there, she starts to get kind of shitty because she's like, okay, well, now now we're behind. You know, we're, we're not going to catch up to them. So let's just go ahead and go do this. 
And you get to see this cool relationship bond between Kite Man and Harley that wasn't there before. Like, he's breaking her walls down a little bit, which is what we've all said throughout season one and, and this one. He grows on you. He has this innate charm where he just, he, he is a doofus by all meaning of that definition. But he is kind-hearted, and I think Harley starts to see how he sees Ivy, which makes this even cooler. Whereas you get to see Catwoman and Ivy alone, and Catwoman's just kind of like, not necessarily judging, but it's that condescending backhanded compliment judging, where she's like, oh, yeah, cool, I see you're with the team, and, you know, oh, and you guys are together, and, you know... When was the last time you did anything for nature? Like, she's calling out at all of the, the parts of Ivy that anyone who can read body language would automatically know that those are uncomfortable and those are things she feels self-conscious about. And that's what makes Selena so great in this episode because she has no fear of calling her out because she knows where she stands with Ivy. So while she's, you know, graceful, you know, and, and doing her thing, Ivy's fumbling because she's trying to, you know, come up with these reactions and these answers that she feels like will will be justifiable to Selena. So to see that really, I mean, like, I love Catwoman, don't get me wrong. I am not a <laughs> hater this episode. But for that part specifically, it was really painful to watch because we've seen Harley grow as the series has gone on. But this is one of the very first episodes where we've seen Ivy kind of like not only vulnerable, but really kind of under attack because she's got people that she holds on a pedestal being like, well, what happened to you? Where are you? You know, you used to have this brand that was synonymous with your character and everyone knew what you were about. And then now we've joined a crew. We have a boyfriend. What's happening? Seth, what about you? Well, one of the things that I really liked is what sets up this this set of mini scenes, one on the roof, where we quickly see that Harley is kind of checked by Catwoman about catsplaining. And we learn that Kite Man's biggest fear is traps in space because there's no kites in space, which I just fucking loved. That was such a Kite Man thing to say, like, no kites in space. yeah, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of traps in space. No kites in space. Like, there's something about his delivery that is such, you know, frat bro, you know, you just, yeah. And and I love the fact that it seems so heavy handed that the thing he wants is this leaf shaped diamond that he's going to get. But because of the fact that he takes the time to explain it to Harvey, Harley, they get split up. And so now we've got, yeah, this great, this great opportunity to, to sort of see Harley and Kite Man, who she hates, work together because there's traps and we realize that working together means, for the most part, uh, Kite Man gets stuck with all the traps. And in the process, um, he's just suffering throughout this, which is a, a beautiful, like, undying love. Um, something Harley's really upset about. She wants them to slow down their love, take a cue from the uh, slow cooker. But we also get that chance to, Josh, you pointed out, we get to see Ivy defend her relationship. Like, she really sticks up for, you know, Kite Man. She's like, yeah, we're dating. You know, we eat dinner and have sex and complain about the crew. <laughs> and just, you know, she's like, yeah, I've kind of changed. I like some people. Uh, I like more than just my journal to confide in, which is important because, you know, she sees some of these things that she's talking about that 
Catwoman's kind of, you know, knocking around a little bit or at least challenging, especially Kendry, she brought up with the idea of the brand. Like you used to be so clear, so, so direct. But, you know, Brad, you really point out that in a lot of ways, Kite Man's the one who's sort of stealing a lot of this scene. We're, we're seeing how much he starts growing, as Kendra put it, on, on Harley, on the rest of us. I'm not saying he's like a fungus, but his uniform is green. So we can take that however you want to. Uh, Josh? Deathstroke sword, like love the moment, love that you yes. saw it beforehand, love the way you referenced that, you know, even <laughs> Kite Man's like, is that Deathstroke I literally sword? said that out loud, <laughs> and then when he said it, I was like, yo, he said what I said, literally sitting on my couch said that out loud. <laughs> yeah, I just love the fact that we've we've got these opportunities to to have these great little moments. I love that the helmet of fate. I love all the dead bodies that have just yeah. been screwed around. Uh, Catwoman is perfect. Sure, her ability to just sort of like do all the smooth stuff. She spins Ivy away from the giant sun that falls. She tosses the coin that springs the trap. She like balances on uh, dangling strung up boats while, yeah. you know, gators and crocs are down below. Um, there was just a really fun thing. And I love that one of the comments throughout is, where does he get the contractor for this? And he's like, dude, evil construction in Gotham is booming. Like you have no idea. Like catch up. And then, of course, we see that before we step away from this scene, we get sort of that cliffhanger, which is Kite Man strung up, oh God, of course, in a trap, another one. Not the net with the arrows, because that was just genius, but instead a spider web with a giant-ass spider. And that's when we get a chance to cut away and check in for a minute on Psycho. And, uh, well... His attempt to say or live up to his statement that he can run a crew. It doesn't look like he can run a crew from here. Brad, what do we see quickly that shows us he definitely doesn't know how to handle things? Uh, uh, well, getting shot <laughs> with a tranquilizer dart by Psy is definitely <laughs> an example. <laughs> right. I, I don't, man. He was just over his, pardon the pun, but he was over his head from the very beginning um yeah man that that was just not good (laughs) um yeah not at all (laughs) josh yeah there's no way in hell that he could run a crew (laughs) i'm just saying from the way he first off from the way he treats everybody like he like chokes out frank right at the beginning of that scene (laughs) with his mind powers you know get obviously yeah getting tranked by by sigh letting freaking uh uh uh, riddler get away it's like dude what are you doing like he every time he tries to do pretty much anything he screws it up because that's what he is he's a massive (laughs) screw up at least this version of him is a massive screw up uh and i i (laughs) I have to say the uh, the part of the scene where King Shark just goes up, grabs the belt, sniffs it a bit. He's like, it was like the body lotion. He got out using all that body lotion you throw <laughs> threw at him. I don't know why, but I just like I started like cracking up when, when he did that. Lavender sage. <laughs> it probably doesn't seem like the funniest scene that you know in this, but for some weird reason that just that hit me. It, it tickled me in right in just the right spot. <laughs> uh, what about you, Kendra? Just gotta let that shit simmer. <laughs> Just like chili. <laughs> right? I'm telling you, this show should have a line of shirts. Burgers are great. But, I mean, <laughs> Dr. Psycho. Uh, 
I my favorite only one one part of this really stuck out to me. Like yes, King Shark did, but he always does because he's one of my favorites. But <laughs> my favorite part of this <laughs> is when they're like, Carly's gonna be mad. <laughs> he's like. Mad, she's gonna fucking kill me. <laughs> I only had two jobs to watch Riddler and feed the koi, and I bread and fried those fuckers. So. <laughs> yes, that was a fucking great line. I bread and fried those fuckers. <laughs> oh, he did that, and I, I lost it. Every time I watch this episode, I'm just like, yes. <laughs> but another thing that gets me is every time we, we go over to Psycho, like, this show gets me every time they have a little running gag because it's like, where's Waldo? You have to find it. And when they, when you find it, it's great because every time that they switch over to the mall and Dr. Psycho is doing something where he's, he's getting laughed at basically the hyenas are joining in. Like, I don't know if they're supposed to be, but they do. And it's always (laughs) perfect timing. So it's like, okay, so not only are you being mocked by Frank, which causes you to go into a rage and choke him out, but then the hyenas are even jumping in on it. So not only does the crew think that you've royally fucked up, but even, like, not that I really consider Frank as a sub-character, but, I mean, even even the outer rim circle of the crew is like, bro, you had one job. <laughs> So, I mean, that's that's kind of where I am with this one. Although I will say that the Trank dart was absolutely hilarious. Because Slide's like, is that a sofa? And you just hear in the background over the walkie-talkie, no, it's not, go. I got you. It, the only thing I think that would have made it funnier for me, which is really rare for me to say for this show, is if he would have gone down Ace Ventura slow-mo style. <laughs> oh my god that would have been amazing that would have been amazing I would have literally lost my shit at that point because it would have been just the perfect way for him to go but it was so quick it was just like oh dart done face plant done Seth what about you yeah everything about this scene is just reinforcing the idea that Psycho can't do shit like you know, we, we find out, one, um, he's trying to basically get validation from Frank, who's like, why do you need validation from me? That's some weak mind shit right there, <laughs> which I just love that he's just like, see, this is the shit I'm talking about, right? This like, this is the shit I'm talking about. And we find out that when Psycho had a temper tantrum and was throwing all that lotion and other shit at Riddler, he basically set up the opportunity for Riddler to escape. And yeah, the the breaded God, Kendra, I fucking love you for that. The breaded fried koi, that that shit cracked me up. Like <laughs> I can see so many people like he did what? And it was just such like an asshole psycho thing. Like fuck that, feed the fish. I'm eating those fuckers. Um, take this from a guy who yesterday, no, day before, spent like 18 hours on a fishing boat and had like the wildest salmon trip. I'll I'll, I'll send you pictures, but. I, at that moment, I was just like, this is too fucking funny to watch this shit after I just went on that trip. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that it's Psycho who basically calls out the hit to side to take him down. <laughs> what he hasn't confirmed that it's Riddler. Like, that was his own, take that fucker down, I don't give a shit. <laughs> you're like, you're telling him to shoot you. What's, okay, buddy, okay. And then I think my favorite moment before we transition back to everybody over at the mall is when King Shark's like, oh, look. 
Uh, well, actually, take that back. Two things. One, Sid's whole thing about like, or Sai's whole thing about like, yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, there's no reason to worry unless, you know, the prisoner got somebody to fall in love with him. Show of hands, anybody fall in love with the Riddler? <laughs> and then Jimmy Shark's like, oh, he left the Riddle. And then he starts reading and he's like, oh, it just gets dirty from there. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> Which I love because on this show, you're like, how is it too dirty for them to fucking say it on this show? Come yeah. on, man. Like, come on. <laughs> Now, my favorite thing is that when we shift back, we get a chance to catch Catwoman and Ivy right before they're joined by Harley and a kite man who just, man, he clearly has just not been having a good day. Uh, look, I'm just going to let everybody take it from here. But we, we find out really what Catwoman's true colors are. And we get a really interesting pickle for uh, Ivy, Harley and uh, kite man. Brad, take it away, my friend. What did you like about this new scene? Uh, yeah, uh, poor kite man. Man, I, uh, man, allergic to bees on top of everything. Man, that's just, or wasp or whatever the hell it was that was stinging him. You couldn't really see, but man, yeah, man, his face was not looking good. And uh, you, what really hurt is when they were trapped and he was still trying to propose and they just weren't paying any attention to him. And I was like, oh, you poor guy. <laughs> Yeah, not the best time, but still, you poor guy. <laughs> yeah, Josh. Yeah, this uh, this was a really a really good scene for me because uh, just like going into it, you know, you get Harley coming in and they're like, "How'd you how'd you escape all the traps?" And then you just see Kite Man just being attacked by a <laughs> swarm of fucking bees. He's just over there, you know, taking the brunt of everything, you know, getting shot with arrows, fucking bees, all this the giant spider, all that shit. That, that 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 all got laid on him. You know, and then you know, he tries to propose here and that fucking ring is gone. And then lo and behold, fucking Catwoman doing what she does, taking off with that ring and he's like, "Oh, fuck." So, you know, and then getting trapped inside the glass inside the glass cage. I'm sitting there, I'm like, as soon as it goes down, I'm like, use the fucking flamethrower. What are you doing? <laughs> Josh, you be honest. You throw things at the TV at that moment. <laughs> I'm like, you literally went there to steal this thing to get through the, like, unmeltable ice castle. Fucking use this thing to melt your way out. Like, I don't know. I feel like it took him way too long to figure that out. But yes, like, like Brad, like you were saying, Kite Man trying to still propose while almost getting crushed under there was, was great. I, I thought that was that was uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, Kendra, what about you? Catwoman hissing at, at Kite Man's face is probably one of my favorite moments. <laughs> yes, that was good too. <laughs> Just seeing her do the... I was like, are you serious? <laughs> that and Harley getting to finally, you know, kind of call her out and saying, wow, what a cold bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, this scene, this whole sequence for me, and yes, the oh, duh moment happened with me, too. And it did with Harley as well. But, uh, I mean, this whole scene, I'm, I'm going to say something that I haven't said this entire, like, review series. And that is that this scene actually made me rather upset with Ivy because here's kite man. Like he's gone through this whole, all of these shenanigans. He has come out the worst for where he, he got the worst of what could happen from, from Dr. Trap. 
And he's still sitting there trying, even without a ring, to like profess his love and say, Hey, you know, I want I want you to be with me. And she is so concerned with everything else that's going on. The fact that Selena could have gotten them out of there, even though Harley's like, fuck her, she just left us. Yeah. But I mean, for me, it really was was a, a huge red warning for me. Like, yes, I love their relationship and I like how cute it's been. But at this point in it, where she's spent the entire time standing up for their relationship, in this moment, it was really a huge fuck you to the guy. Yeah. Because we've got a, a trap coming down. You guys are slaughtered to die because you can't figure out that you got a ray gun. I mean... And that he's still sitting there trying to. And in that moment, you see who Kite Man is. Like, he truly loves Ivy. He's trying, you know, even, even with Death's beatable door he's sitting there trying to profess his love for her and she's just like oh selena this and oh maybe it is better to be on my own and you know this isn't the right time and it's just it's one of those things where she's like incredibly selfish in this moment and it just makes you feel even worse for kite man uh seth what about you this was a tough scene. This was that, you know, you're under pressure. And, of course, in the middle of it, Kaiman is just doing his damnedest to propose to uh, uh, Poison Gertrude Ivy, which I just loved was the name. He's like, <laughs> Poison Gertrude Ivy. Uh, and then he's got no ring. We find out, you know, how quickly Catwoman can turn. And I loved how she was just like, here's your super soaker, by the way. There's your little, like, gun. You, you go have fun now. Um, <laughs> and because of that, we, we, we have this trap where not only does Kite Man propose, um, he gets shot down. And, yeah, it was kind of tough. It was interesting because I, I felt like, you know, there was a part of me that was kind of feeling bad for Ivy. But the other part of me felt like, hey, so she just came back to life. She's finally in a relationship. Maybe she needs a little more time. Like, just because Kite Man wants to, like, you know – Lock this one in and and hold on to a sure thing. That doesn't mean that she's on the same page. So I was really kind of torn because I'm like, look, I get everything he's doing for. But there's that moment where if you ever realize you're doing stuff for somebody who, who isn't as interested as you are, like at some point you're not holding an equal relationship. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you have this opportunity to step up the same degree. And if you're not trying to. The other person will one day figure it out unless they're kite man in which I don't think he's ever going to give up because heartbroken as he is, he's he's I don't know, man. The guy's still in it. I feel like he still he still wants whatever he can make work out of this. And and he's been so patient up till now that it was just really tough to, to see him go through that. And then, of course, along the way, the trap's collapsing. They can't figure out how to use the gun until Harley actually has to say it can melt anything. And then, <laughs> Josh, I loved your reaction. Like, holy sh! what the fuck? Like, why didn't you do that right from the just beginning? Just use the gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we get a chance to get free and... Free doesn't mean that everything's okay. In fact, we find out things are still not okay back at the mall when we shift gears and Clayface greets everyone with, a, oh, no heading back text. How rude. But that's clearly not the biggest problem that's happened. Brad, what do you think about how we're wrapping things up here? <laughs> you know, it's like kids when they break their mom's favorite plate 
or or something, you know, when their parents come home, they act like nothing happened. They just wait, <laughs> so wait for it to be discovered. And that's what they were doing. They were just waiting, just, you know, waiting for them to discover the fact that Riddler was gone and not coming back. Or we will see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Josh? Yeah. I mean, it's a short little scene, so we don't really you know, get a ton out of this one. But, you know, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me was, like, you, you got Psy over here flying around, and he's, like, using his, like, little, ma- little periscope thing they has got, but it's all fucking broken. <laughs> I don't know why. That was one of the things I was like, that's just, like, huh, I don't know if I ever noticed that before. <laughs> just all busted up, because he's all busted up, you know? He's just a busted old man, robot dude in a chair. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I I thought that was great, but yeah, like like Brad, like you said, you know, they're like, yeah, they're like little kids who broke something, and it's like, wait till your father gets home, you know, because they're gonna get their ass beat. Yeah, Kedro, what about you? I'm in the same. I mean, it's we get Frank Butt. I like Frank Butt. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it is. It's exactly like waiting on your parents to come home when you know you fucked up. And you know it's that that one fuck up that your parents aren't going to be able to calm down from. Like it's going to be instantaneous rage. So. <laughs> yeah, been there. Yeah. I'll be honest. Part of me, <laughs> part of me thought uh, Harley was going to like accidentally blast the gun off somewhere in this thing. Just because I thought it would have been kind of funny to see happen. Yeah. <laughs> part of me is sad that didn't happen, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, to wrap up what you guys were saying about this scene, I, I love the fact that Harley comes back and she's like, fine, the adult's back. Now I got to fucking handle everything. So let's find him. Can somebody order a fucking pizza? And yeah. then can we get to shit? <laughs> and then she starts just giving it. I mean, just giving it to Psycho. Like, all you had to do was read and none of this would have happened. And Frank's like, can I recommend the Babysitter's Club? Which reminds me of that line that we, we didn't touch on, but where he's like, you know, tuning into it. And he's like, oh, do you ever find the right frequency where you just tune in to Babysitter's Club, man? Do you ever like <laughs> and I love the fact that he's so hyped about it that she's like, all you do is read a book. And he's like, can I recommend the Babysitter's Club? Let me tell you about the storyline when it had to do with diabetes. Ooh. <laughs> and he just keeps taking it further and further. Um, you know, she really is just like. Harley is just like, I have no time for this shit, dude. Like, I'm trying to take down the Injustice League. I don't have time to recapture criminals. And then it turns out that we don't have a criminal to capture. Because Riddler's like, are you fucking kidding me? It's a goddamn war zone outside. Yeah. I didn't run because I didn't fucking want to <laughs> run. Like, I get, I get three square meals. I get free cardio. <laughs> free entertainment. Puts my, the belt my back ass on. Is in the best shape of my life. Look at my ass. Look at my ass. <laughs> Look at my calves, dude. He, like, flexes his calves. Like, oh, man. Uh, and that best, like, just that dig. Like, it's Psycho and everybody there. He's like, I'll escape when I'm ready. Okay? Yeah. But, uh, you know, in the meantime... We, we also get a lovely scene where we shift away and we find Harley finding her friend at that thing she wanted at the very beginning. of was <laughs> finding out about the toxic dump and that it was actually two weeks old news. And now she's back there. And I love all these boardroom execs. 
tied up with vines and big barrels of toxic dump. And that's our background when Harley and Ivy have a lovely heart to heart. Brad, thoughts on this scene? <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I like the using the exploding CEO's bodies as f- kind of fireworks <laughs> was a nice touch uh, on that kind of like that last shot of kind the of a episode. dark romance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was definitely a more vicious side of Ivy that than we've seen. Um, but yeah, I mean that was that's just kind of par for the course with the humor on this show. Uh, and uh, I just thought it was one another one of those moments where it just hit those marks. Um, so yeah, I mean, and and, and you kind of you know like you were saying, uh, uh, Seth, that that's a lot to deal with at one time. It's it's a lot to process. So it's no wonder that she would have her doubts about what she wants to do. But it was kind of nice to see her come around at the end and 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 kind of take responsibility and say okay. This is this is what's going to happen. So, yeah, yeah, it was a it was a good way to uh, to uh, end the episode. Nice, Josh. How about you? Yeah, this this was probably my my. I mean, I know it's like right at the end, pretty much, but it's one of my favorite scenes of this episode. It's probably one of the goriest things they do on this show. <laughs> I mean, yeah. aside from like melting scarecrow, right? <laughs> these dudes' skins are just melting off, man. And, like, they're having this nice heart-to-heart on the pier. And then in the background, not the focus of the scene, you just see dudes getting melted in the background. Just, that's <laughs> yeah, no big deal. It's just happening. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. This is some good, good stuff, man. I, 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 loved, I loved every second of that part. Uh, what about you, Kendra? I love that you, you get into the show so well with the characters that you, you forget that they really are like at their core villains. You, yes. you feel for them, you root for them, you actually, in some cases, like them, even though I'm still on the fence of Dr. Psycho. But I mean, because as the show has gone on, you see them not doing such evil things. But I mean, I, if you think back to, I think it was the first episode, and I've brought this up before Frank ate the plant feeder, the, the yeah. little boy who <laughs> was coming yeah. to feed him and his parents. Because there couldn't be any questions. Even kids are not (laughs) off limits in this show. So, I mean, it's every so often I think that they they feel like they need to make sure that we remember who it is that we're looking at. And if it's not exploding executives as Fireflies as a backdrop for her and Harley, like, you know, having having a love fest, I I really don't know what could be better than that. I mean, that's (laughs) pretty graphic. And this is really where we get the really the first seeds of their kind of blossoming, no pun intended, relationship that we get toward the end of the season when they when they hold hands right there uh, on the pier. Right. And I mean, it's it's the first time that you you're right. It's the first time that you see Harley basically looking at Ivy and being like, look, no matter what's going to happen, no matter what it is, not only am I here for you, but I'm here to do it with you. I will stand exactly by your side as you're going through it, the way that you've done for me in the past. And that was a really sweet moment until it got to the acid being poured on the faces because I was like, oh, <laughs> so that's how we're going to solidify this pack. No, uh, no bloody palm shake, no pinprick. We're just going to acid it up. Okay. <laughs> but 
then it transitions. And this really isn't necessarily the end of the episode because the end of the episode is still another scene. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. that, that. And this is where things get really sad. Like for me at least, but I know that I want to hear what everyone has to say because it's my depressing scene. So Seth, what did you think? (laughs) Well, one, I, I I really love the fact that Josh, you weren't alone with punning when it comes to blossom, especially (laughs) when, you know, uh, Harley shows up and she's like, Ivy, how you doing? She's like, just getting back to my roots. And I'm like, Oh, Ivy. Oh, you cute (laughs) little thing. Like, how did you just say that? And, and along the way there, she, they're just sort of talking about some things that for me, Josh, I agree. Like the handholding was one, but there were some of the things they were saying to each other, which really started cemented this idea that no one knows the two of them, the way they know each other. And it's the moment when they're talking about the ring and she's like, you know, I, I get what you're saying about kite man, but the ring too whimsical. I know. Right. It's not me. It's not me. And that, that sense of just like, I know what you like. I know who you are. And then after the handhold, when Harley just sort of leans her shoulder on. There's that that recognition from Ivy, like, ah, good kid. Nice kid. It'll never work. It'll never happen. But this is sweet. And there was something just sort of tender about it, followed by Harley saying, so can I do one? And then she grabs a barrel. (laughs) And I love that she's like, well, now that the tender moment's over, can I melt one of these fuckers? And she's just (laughs) pouring away, having a grand old time. And uh, yeah, Kendra, you know, there is one last scene and it's it's funny because it's such a short, little, quick, tight scene. Um, is there like a bird? That's crazy. Uh, there's this great little uh, moment where after all of that, we see Ivy arrive at Kite Man's door and we have a final moment between the two of them, which I, I first time through, I, I wasn't expecting it. And this time through, I was really sort of looking at the two of them. Final thoughts on this scene, guys, because, Kendra, you mentioned it's depressing. I want to hear if others feel the same way, Brad. Yeah, I, I thought, well, I don't know why when we started talking about it again. I thought that happened a little bit before um, the end. But, yeah, um, <laughs> I, there, there's something kind of sweet and um, foreshadowing about the idea of him picking a ring that she wouldn't like. But and Harley would have known that uh, that shows the kind of like Josh was saying, that connection that is blossoming over the course of the season. And there's still something so sweet that Kite Man went through all that to get a ring that he thought that she would love, even if it was just not quite what she would want. But that also kind of goes to show that maybe he doesn't know her as, as much as he thinks. So I, I think that that kind of makes, you know, the sadness that Kendra feels all the more pronounced because of that little kind of melancholy, bittersweet uh, moment talking about about the ring. And uh, and the last scene, it definitely kind of paves the way for the rest of the season. So it is it is a very important moment for sure. Uh, Josh. Yeah, I agree with, with everything that you said there. And uh, I mean, just the way the, the scene starts, you know, she goes up to knocks on the door and, and he comes out and he's like, and he's just plastered. And she's like, can I come in? He's like, I'm pretty wasted, but yeah, sure. 
Yeah. yeah, but can you blame the guy? You know, no. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the guy wasted too. It's like it almost starts off, starts you off with this false sense of comedy. You know what I mean? With that kind of, and then it, it and it just takes all of that away. And yeah, it it just turns to, to a sad, sad type of ending. Uh, Kendra, I'm really interested to hear since you know since it affected you so much. How your thoughts on it on this ending? See, my problem is, is that when we come back to these episodes, we already know what's coming. So for us, it makes it a little bit more bittersweet to see these moments because you pick up on these these hints and clues of how everything kind of steamrolls to the end. And right now, we're this episode is probably the first one where we see the stone gathering moss because you not only see the ring issue... But you you see that, you know, Ivy really did doubt this relationship. Like, it was, you know, she was over overdoing it for for uh, Selena to show, oh, this is my boo. She came back and, you know, like I said, during the trap scene, she, she was, like, not, she didn't even care that Kite Man was there or what he was going through. Even when he got on one knee, she kind of did that atypical oh my gosh this is happening but then it was gone in an instant like it didn't matter anymore and granted yes it was probably the wrong time to do it but (laughs) the sentiment was still there and she just swept that under the rug and then we get to this final scene and brad you did call it out pretty well one of the main reasons that i was sad was because both harley and ivy called it out that it was too whimsical of a ring for her it wouldn't have been something she would have gone after i would have seen like a nature ring or one of those that are biodegradable or something like that being more in her vein, which speaks to the level of how well Kite Man really does know her because it seems almost like this entire time up to now, Ivy thinks that she's being herself with Kite Man. And to some degree she probably is, but it's not the true Ivy. It's not all of her that he's getting to see. And this scene or this whole, this whole episode really kind of starts that cement groundwork for what's going to come the rest of the season and that's probably why it's so sad because in this moment kite man like she broke his heart in the trap like you see him crying and it almost got me like i'm not gonna lie when i I started to see the animated tears i was like oh my gosh she just broke this man she (laughs) broke him yeah and at the end of it when she's like okay ask me again and he's like i can't take it a fourth time and you're, you're realizing just how many times he's tried to profess how he feels. And Ivy's just not on the same page with him. And now from here forward, it's, it's almost like Ivy's the one calling the shots and, and Kite Man just takes a step back. Whereas before, and even earlier in this episode, it was them together. You know, it was, well, we put in this investment into the slow cooker and we have all this chili we have to eat. It was couple. It was togetherness. It was them making decisions together. And now that dynamic has changed and the flow has. So for me, this just became like super bittersweet, especially because she made him cry. Mm -hmm. Seth, what about you? Yeah, I I was really surprised the first time I saw this through. And and as you mentioned, Kendra, one of the biggest challenges is if, if we've seen this before, we know what's coming. But there's the foreshadowing, there's the warning signals and the fact that she goes back to a safe choice 
and it's it's easier to see it now and you know that compared to what she really wants kite man is the safe choice he's never going to break her heart but she can break his and he'll take her back and that's something that's more consistent than what she might actually want but what's the safer choice for somebody who's been abused you know treated horribly and looking for just some goddamn firm footing. Like, can I just stand in one place and know that I can stand here as long as I want to without the, the world shifting from underneath me? Right. And if she follows her heart right now, that world isn't going to be steady. It's not going to be safe and stable because guess what? Love isn't safe and stable. It's, it's, it's a lot of passion. It's a lot of heartache. It's a lot of... This could be, you know, the one person who could break me if they ever left me. And that's the hardest risk to take. And she she right now is willing to go back to the person who's going to keep taking her back because she can have all those safe things like a slow cooker. I don't know if that's supposed to be like a symbol of safety. Married couples out there, if you want to go ahead and chime in, like did buying a safe cooker sort of like mean your relationship was locked? I don't I don't know how it works. I, I, I had like, a slow cooker long before I got married. So I <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So did I. I'm like, <laughs> I had this crockpot before we met. So I don't know what to, you know, but there, there is like, you know, when people like get a pet together or something yeah. else like that, it's supposed to be like, hey, we're in this now. You know what I mean? Like next 10, 12 years for this pet, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're together for this. And it seemed like that was their pet was the slow cooker. And now... Now it's going to be really interesting to see how much longer she can keep going back to this safe environment when she's been challenged by Catwoman, when she knows that there's something developing with Harley, and when she knows that if she's really going to be true to herself, this is going to be something that she's going to have a lot of conflict with. I really I really liked how this isn't a perfect ending, and it leaves us with a lot of questions. And man, as soon as he said, are you sure? Because I can't do this a fourth time. I was like, dude, get out get out it was like yeah yeah that same friend of mine jay i love you and i'm not trying to fuck your life up here but he went through a number of relationships where the girl would he was with the same girl and she would dump him over and over again and then eventually take him back and my friend's dad one time we're having beers and he's like it's like she keeps kicking you between the legs you fall to the ground you lay there for a while and then you get back up and go, so can we try again? And he's going, I don't know what you're trying for, except can you get kicked so many more times before you finally get out of this? And currently, Kite Man is willing to get kicked a lot. I mean, from his face, from the fact that he tried to cover for all of his injuries by saying he had an allergic reaction to his deodorant. I mean, he's just the sweet guy, right? Like, he's just the sweet. Uh, so that sort of sets us up for the fact that we're going to have more of this frustration and tension as we go into the season but as we wrap this episode to a close two things guys final thoughts and this episode was called trapped so you have an opportunity if you think this is a good name or if you have a better name for this episode so final thoughts and would you stick with the name of the episode or would you give us a new one brad you're up first uh, I would definitely uh keep that name because it works on a lot of different levels <laughs> for a lot of different things that had happened in that episode um probably the most poignant being you know the kite man ivy trap that is 
slowly happening. Um, but yeah, so I would not change the name. And overall, uh, this was uh, definitely uh, an emotional episode. Uh, this is one of those where, you know, and as we talk about it and think about the episode, you realize that this covers ground that not a lot of cartoons, not a lot of animated TV does. And it's it's really incredible. And uh, that that's what stuck out to me about this episode. Uh, mm. Josh? Yeah, I I think it's a per- definitely like you were saying, it's a perfect title for this. But uh, you know, if 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 the executives came up to me and be like, "Listen, asshole, we need you to rename <laughs> this fucking episode right fucking now." I'd be like, "Well, I mean, if I got a uh maybe something like Don't Go Breaking My Heart." It works on multiple levels, you know. Hey. Catwoman broke Ivy's heart. Ivy broke uh, Kite Man's heart. I mean, you know, you got all this. And then, I mean, technically, Ivy probably broke all those uh, b- those uh, board members' hearts with a bunch, whole bunch of toxic waste. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Kendra, what about you? Why do you build me up, Buttercup? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Although I agree 155,000% with Brad and the levels that this one builds. It's like an onion. It has layers. Yes. Because, I mean, it, it does. It works on several different levels. Like, yes, we get to see Dr. Trap, but is he really that big of a player in this game? Not really. He sets the stage, but everything when it comes to Trap comes with our other characters, with our mainstay. And, again... Brad, you're absolutely right. I mean, this one, this this cartoon series, I mean, I wish there was a, a more, like, better descriptive verb than that. I mean, because it, it's not. It touches bases very well in humanity. It's very relatable. And, I mean, these guys are such geniuses when it comes to pulling at the heartstrings, not shying away from raw or visceral scenes. Yes, they combat it with either dark humor or just, you know, Dr. Psycho being outdone by Riddler again. But, I mean, it's just, it's the way that they build this up and they draw you in. If you are to give this show even half of your attention, you don't regret it. I mean, every episode has something that somewhere along the line, either you can relate to it or you know someone who can and that is something that is is really really enjoyable about it. I mean, I I don't regret any rewatch that I've had to do. And I mean, I've I've done rehashes because I'm one of those where I like the safety of having knowing you know what's coming. So if I need background noise, I'll turn on Criminal Minds for the tenth time. But with those, I always remember things. And every time that we do a rewatch on an episode, especially on this one, knowing what's to come you pick up on things that you didn't even pick up on. Like the fact that Claudia is King Shark's favorite, whereas Frank is a Mallory girl. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, it's uh, absolutely uh, brilliant. So those, those are my final thoughts. Seth, what about you? Well, when it comes to titles, the only two that, that might've popped out for me is um, one would be like a play on night at the museum, like nightmare at the museum, kind of an idea. Um, another one was just to draw from my Star Wars youth, and it's a trap. And then the last one <laughs> yes. would have to be <laughs> the last one would have to be Cat's Cradle. I don't know why, 
but for some reason that image of those strings strung up and how for some reason whenever I played the fucking game, like one or two times in, and I'm like, I, I fuck, what now? Right? And then you start all over again. So it just seemed like this kind of mess to me like that. So that would probably be, uh, as far as titles, final thoughts would just be, man, uh, I agree with you 100%, Kendra, that whenever I rewatch this, I catch something new. I don't remember if the last time I got the, you know, just getting back to my roots reference from Ivy or other little tidbits that just sort of like tickled me pink when it came to this episode. So, uh, I really think overall it was just that feeling of knowing like, okay, so this is really where things are always going to have a friction. It's going to be Harley and Ivy and Kiteman, and they're always going to be rubbing each other the wrong way. And even with the two lovebirds, Ivy and Kiteman, it's never going to be right on. You know what I mean? It's always going to be a challenge for the two of them. And the reason why is going to show itself later. So I was really struck by just, you know, how I could see that this time through. And I think you guys pointed out some (laughs) really memorable things for us to keep in mind. With all of that, that brings us to an end of this episode of Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast. Thankfully, there are more on the horizon. And should you find there was anything we said that you want to follow up on? Well, this is your opportunity to find out where each of us are. And how you can find us. Brett, starting with you. Should the good people have questions, where, how do they find you? Uh, you can find me writing news and reviews, DC Comics News. Uh, you can uh, find me on the regular DC Comics News podcast. Uh, maybe popping up in the occasional uh, DC Comics News live stream. And Woo-hoo. you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. And Mr. Josh Rayner, where can the good people find you, our editor-in-chief? You can find me on Twitter at J.P. Rayner. That's J-P-R-A-Y-N-O-R. Uh, obviously, you can find me probably pulling my hair out on doing all kinds of weird stuff over on DCN, <laughs> trying to keep that thing uh, going. Uh, and uh, check out my other website, Merc with a Movie Blog, where I review movies, talk about all kinds of other crazy stuff. Uh, it's MerkWithMovieBlog.com, uh, on Twitter at MovieBlogMerk. Uh, what about you, Kendra? I can be found on Twitter at Devour All Words. Um, I do reviews and opinion pieces for Dark Knight News, as well as Fantastic Universes and Planet Nine. Um, and also, I can be found with my cohorts here on DCM Podcast or doing the Mad Love Harley Quinn cast. Seth, where can they find you? Ooh, well, you can find me writing uh, reviews for DC Comics News. Uh, most recently, I remember Last Day Independence. Josh, great recommendation. That was a really fun one. I really oh, enjoyed reading and glad. reviewing that one. Really yeah, liked it. yeah, that was a great that was a great time. You can find me on Twitter as one more singleton, and I don't always talk about it. But if you want to catch me on, you know, my stuff, uh, you can grab me at Seth Singleton Storyteller or Storytelling with Seth. Type either one of those in. Tell me what you find. Go from there. You can find me with this great group, whether we're getting a bit loud and naughty on Mad Love or doing our bit more straight up and down with the weekly podcast. You can catch me hosting the Spinner Rack. And man, it's always a great time hanging out with everyone here. If you want to make sure that you never miss out on every new episode, of Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast, or any of our other great content, the weekly podcast, Spinner Rack, I Am the Night, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series, the soon-to-come Tropeville 
and Felicky Fashions. Trust me, folks, just keep them on your radar. They are on their way. And other great content that we're always coming up with. Do us a favor, if you haven't yet, go to whatever podcast platform you're on. We're on all the big ones like Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, you name a lot of other little ones and whichever one you're listening on. If you haven't hit that subscribe button, please do it now. You can even rate and review. We'll love you for it. And you'll guarantee that you can listen to all of our previous episodes and catch all of the new stuff coming your way. And should you have a comment that's not just for one of the individuals from this episode or any episode, but you want to reach out to the whole gang at DC Comics News, you can find us on all your favorite platforms, whether it's Twitter, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr. We're, we're kind of everywhere. All you need is the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S, and send us a message. The whole gang is going to love to read it. I guarantee it. We can't wait to get your message. With that, we come to the end of Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast. This has been episode number 16. I've been your host, Seth Singleton. I really enjoyed hanging out with you. And we have this final little thing we love to say at the end of every episode, and that is to... Always read more comics. Fuck yeah. We're out of here, folks. We'll catch you next time. Until then, be bad. It's fun. Fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Three, two, one.